I think this is a great advertisement for gas station barbecue. Like, are you depressed? <laughs> are you are you high on meth? Come down to Mirror, Alberta and have yourself some barbecue and it'll cure everything. Hey, I'm Nick. I'm Leonard. And we're here to take you through a weekly deep dive into the Rebel, Rebel News, News Network. Network. The Rebel News Network is an alt-right media source here in Canada that is bringing misinformation and spreading bad ideas throughout the land. Our job is to look at what they're saying, decipher it, and try to make sense of it. Okay, here we are, episode 15. Leonard, how you doing today? Doing well. How are you doing, buddy? I am also doing well. Nice, 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 we can, nice. We can pull back the curtain a little bit and say we're both just coming down off of a little 30 or so minute debate we just had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of an impromptu. Ideologies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you'd be surprised maybe to know that we don't really align. Well, we align somewhat, but we don't really align on some fundamental issues. But yeah, I think it's we true. Get there. But that's okay. We've, we've hey, never that's fully aligned. We've always yeah. been kind of in the same realm, I would say, but never really yeah. fully aligned, right? That's right. Yeah, I think we share the same side of the political spectrum, but we did. Yeah, we differ on some key issues, which is again, which is fine, which is what is part of lively debate about about things. And if you can't, if you you don't have to agree on every single thing, I think that's yeah. And if, if, if somebody does agree with every single thing you, you say, be suspicious of, of what they're doing. Maybe. Cause it's weird. Yeah. Okay. So, um, who are you cheers in today, Leonard? Well, I'm going to cheers yet another author and it's going to stick with my, with my general theme over the last couple of weeks, because I'm just one of those guys. It's uh David Graber and he wrote this book called bullshit jobs which is a great book. It's about a, it's a theory on the changing nature of work in kind of just Western society writ large. So like North America, Europe, what have you. And just like a lot of Western countries have outsourced their labor. And there's been kind of a shift in how Western societies kind of view work. There's been a lot of bullshit jobs, like consulting jobs or think tanks and all these kinds of things that really contribute, but don't contribute. Anyway, it's a really great book. Uh, it, it's a little bit of a longer one. It's going to take you a while, but uh, it'll, it'll make you kind of view work in a different, in a different lens. You know, the thing that really drives me crazy about consulting is like in the, in the business world, everybody is kind of full of shit. Some people know a little bit more than others because of education and stuff. But we're all just kind of like throwing ideas to each other to see what works. And yeah, you're kind of, everyone's just out there saying, is this going to work? Is this going to work? And, you, and you're running your ideas by people and we're all kind of working together. So then you insert something like a consultant and it's just like, what are you doing here? You know, like, I don't really, yeah. I've, I've just, I've always been strongly opposed to consultants because of my ex just experience kind of seeing them. They're just some yeah. kind of like, know-it-all blowhard who comes into a situation and pretends they know everything when you don't unless they are legitimately an expert in the field i think i'll be talking about this a little bit <clears throat> uh, in in my in my section but uh you know the there's been there's been such a a battle against expertise 
And I, you know, and if you're an expert in the field and you want, and I'm not, and you want to educate me on that field. Awesome. Why wouldn't you brand yourself a consultant if people are willing to pay for a consultant, I guess. So I don't blame the consultant as much as I blame the people hiring consultants. Mm. If you want an expert in something that you're doing, hire an expert, Yeah, hire yeah. them, make them an exactly. employee, treat them well, do those kind mm-hmm. of things instead of the consulting business where you're not getting the devotion. Like you're getting a bit of expertise from this person, but if you want somebody's expertise, like get it and get yeah. it in a real way, I guess. And I guess that's Fair where enough. I'm kind of going with this whole consultant thing is yeah. I'm totally pro expertise. And I know there's people that know a lot about certain things. Um, I, I just, I don't like that world because mm-hmm. consultants is just, it's pure, it's pure capital. It's pure exploitation where that yeah. funding is coming from. Right. So I'd rather see that person be a worker, be an employee, get treated well. And yeah, you know, instill their 100%. expertise. But uh, who are you cheersing this week? Uh, so I'm pretty sure that I've never mentioned these people before, but in the case that I have, I'll be more specific. So I want to say a cheers to the Eat the Rich podcast. Um, and again, I don't think I've mentioned them before, but if you're going to check them out, uh, so this past week and the week before, they did a two part series on Disney. And so the Eat yeah. the Rich podcast basically. They got a couple of people that kind of get together and and talk about late stage capitalism and kind of where the world's at right now. But then they also usually bring on kind of an expert, (laughs) like we're talking about, about a specific subject they're talking about. And in this case, it's Disney. And they talk about Walt Disney. They talk about the early stages of Disney and fighting unions, but then also fast forward to the future and what Disney is doing right now and what Disney parks employees are going through um, not only just in the current kind of uh, climate of capitalism, but then also more specifically in, in COVID and and how they responded to COVID-19. So uh, really interesting, really depressing. It'll make you never want to watch a Disney movie (laughs) again and say fuck Disney and everyone associated with Disney. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a wild ride, but I highly suggest people check it out. I think in one of my first undergrad classes, we covered Disney, and that's when I realized how evil of a corporation Disney is, and just like buying up all of these small animation studios and movie studios, buying up entire media landscapes. And then, you know, all the racist shit on top of that. Totally. It, I mean, yeah, it is, it is the evil corporation. Yeah, really. Yeah. And <laughs> I love, nuts, but I, yeah. I do love that term late stage capitalism. I, I had to write that down because it's, it's like, it's such a great way to describe capitalism as like the cancer that's going through, you know, the world uh, and, and to know that we're in the late stages of it is well, good and that was, scary at the same time. That was what our argument was about before <laughs> this podcast yeah, is, right. is yeah. where, where are we going next? Where are we going next? Exactly. So, anyhow, Leonard, tell us what's going on around the rebel sphere this week. Okay. Well, the big news this week was the Derek Chauvin trial. Uh, so Derek Chauvin is the Minneapolis cop who killed George Floyd on camera and he was found guilty for second-degree murder, second-degree manslaughter, and third-degree murder. Yes, he is a murderer. 
So basically, the, the murder of George Floyd was something that rocked the world. It became the catalyst for a lot of activism through Black Lives Matter, and it brought the problem of extreme police brutality against Black people and people of color into the mainstream. Now, I think more importantly, that it brought the conversation of racism into the mainstream, and we now know things like unconscious bias and systemic racism and how really deep-seated these things are in our culture. Um, and this was a very unique situation because it was basically recorded from start to finish with body camera footage and bystander recordings, which turned out to be one of the major contributing factors to Chauvin's conviction. A lot of experts were saying that this body camera footage and bystander footage was really the smoking gun, so to speak, on, on Derek Chauvin because you can see it happening in real time. So Ezra talks about the verdict uh, in his show, but it's not the response I was expecting from the head of a self-proclaimed news organization. So let's let's hear what he has to say in response to it. Look, I didn't follow the trial of George Floyd. I'm really glad I didn't. I don't want to know more than I know. I, I don't want an opinion on whether or not he was murdered. The whole thing is awful. It's not our experience in Canada in the main. But I can still see that the worst people in the world here are the politicians and well, you don't want an opinion on if George Floyd was murdered or not. I got I got some bad news for you. He he was murdered. Yeah, and that right? can be your opinion. Yeah. It's like the whole I don't want to know. Like to me that coming from what's supposed to be a news organization is a little bit of a red flag. Well, it's a red flag <laughs> in a couple of ways. One, you're supposed to know. Yeah, you're a news organization, but two, you do know. That's the thing. There's yeah. not a person in North America that doesn't know, right? Everybody knows. Everybody saw the video. If you didn't saw the, see the video, you heard about the video. Mm -hmm. You've heard about the trial. You heard about the verdict. You already know. So stop pretending that you're not taking a stance with what you're saying because you are taking a stance. But I think that also kind of informs kind of the, the next, kind of the entire video, really. So basically, because he just because he didn't pay attention to that trial doesn't mean he doesn't have an opinion on it. Um, and that's where he starts to really beautifully dispense with the false comparisons. So, Nick, let the false comparisons begin. 12. CDV is outraged about police brutality in the United States. I wonder if their opinion about that 12-year-old being pushed by the cop in Gravenhurst, Ontario, I wonder if their opinion would have been a little fiercer if the kid were black. I wonder if Ezra would have said the kid deserved it if the kid were black. Right, yeah. What, what was the kid doing to deserve to be pushed? Maybe he should just cooperate, right? That whole kind of narrative around that. Of course, nobody could see it, but I was making the same stupid face that Ezra's making in this video. <laughs> His smug little lip-tucked look he's oh, making. Oh, I know, hey? Um, so so he's trying to... He's, he's making a comparison between the outrage that a innocent person was murdered versus a 12-year-old being shoved. Now, yeah. do I think that either of those things should have happened? No. But I also know 12-year-olds are lippy little assholes <laughs> that need a shove once in a while. But 
I don't, yeah, I don't think either of those things should happen, but one is demonstrably worse than the other. Yeah. And very, very much different from the others. Like, and it has un- nothing to do with unrelatable. Race here. It, exactly. Yeah. It, very, very, like the, the false comparison of all false comparisons. He makes a couple more, though, in the same clip. Oh, beautiful. About that, guys. Uh, do you have anything to say about sending your cops into a church during Easter weekend? Anything to say about that? Or just things to say in a different country? Another, okay, so so now this time he's comparing George Floyd getting murdered to um, a church defying public health over, orders over and over and over and over and over again so they finally yeah. get shut down. Is that what's yeah. happening? Yeah, so the oh, Pulowskis okay. and George Floyd are on the same level. Yeah, of course they according are. According to them. Yeah, right? of course they are, yeah. <laughs> like... It's uh, so, so bizarre the lengths that these guys will go to in order to just to push their own stupid narrative. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Well, no, yeah. it's not kind of crazy. <laughs> it's really like you're really grasping for straws here or grasping yeah. at straws here, Ezra. Like the George Floyd thing and the thing that people like Ezra will never understand is that it wasn't about George Floyd right? It wasn't about an individual. It was about an entire group of people who have been marginalized, who have been unnecessarily treated very poorly and murdered by police and by systems that have wanted to keep them down for generations. George Floyd was the person who they finally, they just had this this evidence you couldn't look past it you couldn't say you he was he was rodney king except he died rodney yeah. king rodney king died from what happened to him uh in that beating undoubtedly but it didn't happen right away it no. took a long time it's really hard to argue against any of what happened because you see it with your own eyes right in front of you from start to finish. And it's, that's why it's such a rarity because this has really never happened where it's been such an open and shut case. Well, that's it. And that's and the comparison I was making to Rodney King, just to be clear, was that it was the it was a very similar set of circumstances where a person was being just beaten or their life was being taken from them. But the difference with Rodney King is he didn't actually die. He didn't die in that moment. And that's why this, that's part of the reason I think that this didn't happen 30 years ago, right? Whereas we watched George Floyd die. We watched, we watched the life leave him. And, and, and that was enough is enough, you know, enough is enough of this shit and minimizing it by comparing it to a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of preachers and uh, a young boy getting pushed. Like, yeah, I hate you, Ezra. I it's fucking just those hate you. False man. comparisons. Yeah. So finally, Ezra, who let's face it, doesn't hold the police in the highest regard, is suddenly concerned about the ver- uh, the verdict and what that now means for police and policing. Now, Nick, what did Ezra call the police in Montreal? 
Here are the thugs! Here are the thugs! How long did he say he was going to sue the police? Forever! <laughs> so, <laughs> so here is what he has to say about it now. And they're demonized for fighting criminals when that's what we hire them to do, we need them to do. I know they sometimes go too far, but in this day and age, would you even take the chance as a cop? I mean, you get a fair trial if you made a mistake. Would you just stay out of certain parts of town? Just turn a blind eye to certain criminals. Just look away. Don't get involved. Okay, so let me get this straight, Ezra. When the cops tell you that you're violating public health orders in a very non-violent way and they allow you to scream and yell like an idiot and look like you're going to have a stroke because you're freaking out so much. <laughs> that's like, that's tyranny. But when they murder a black guy for no reason, that's on okay. Tape. On yeah. video. Yeah. That's totally okay. And they, yeah. they need to be able to do their job uh, unencumbered and they need to make sure that they can murder people without receiving a backlash. Is, is that what I'm getting from you, Ezra? I, you know, I, I, that seems to be the case. Like that seems to be what he is. He's arguing, right? He he speaks from both sides of his mouth. The the police are, are tyrants, and they use their power too much, and they have too much power when it affects them. But as soon as there's a legitimate crime, you know, who would want to be a cop? If I can't murder somebody in broad daylight, why why would I want to become a police officer? Yeah. If I can't make somebody's life miserable on a day-to-day -day basis, why would I want to be a police officer? Yeah. Like it's really amazing how just like it's it's so blatant too. Like Ezra holds like we've talked about there's no consistency in what they what they say, what they report, what they're doing. Everything bends to their need in that moment. And in this moment, yeah. he needs to demonize George Floyd. He needs to demonize Black Lives Matter. He needs to demonize those things. Therefore, yeah. cops are his friend. When yeah. just two weeks ago, this guy was screaming at the top of his lungs about how evil cops were because they didn't let him defy public health orders and just yeah. roam around the streets of Montreal like the asshole that he is. Well, and the stuff that he was saying about the RCMP at Grace Life. It's, it's nuts. It's like, it really what do is. you do, man? We're just like, I'm just in, I'm in disbelief. <laughs> like we, you know, we do a whole show about how mad Ezra is at the police. And then I sit here and listen to his smug ass make his pompous little face and just look at the camera and say, oh, when it comes to, you know, murdering minorities, of course, like this is what police should be allowed to do. And yeah, you know, sure. He's not saying those words, but that's what he's saying. Well, and then, you know, plus the, the fair trial, like the question about would I get a, if I was a cop and I did something wrong, would I get a fair trial? What does that yeah. even mean? If, like, of course you would get, you know, the, you would either, you know, whatever the evidence produces you would get either a, a guilty or a non-guilty verdict but in this particular case it was so easy to see what happened because <laughs> it was 100 percent on video and audio i mean in reality the fact that derek chauvin even got a trial 
indicates that it's a fair trial because we had yeah. a 10 minute media video of him murdering somebody that the exactly. entire friggin' world saw. They, they didn't, there really didn't need to be a trial to prove his guilt. But yeah, there, there was, was really no and it was opinion fair. about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but another big thing that happened this week uh, was the announcement of the federal budget. Uh, this was the first budget that was uh, has been tabled since the beginning of the pandemic. And Nick, this was a big one. Uh, here are some of the highlights. The cost of childcare will be cut in half by next year and eventually will go down to $10 a day in a few years, which is awesome. Uh, there's a huge, inf- there's going to be huge infrastructure spending, including some for First Nations reserves, and there's going to be a freeze on student loan interest until 2025. I mean, for you and I, that's exactly in our wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, some, of, some of the pandemic benefits are extended. So CERB has been extended uh, by, I believe, another 12 weeks. It's going to go down from 500 to 300 a week. Um, the wage subsidy is going to be sticking around for a little bit longer. Lockdown rent subsidies for commercial units are going to be sticking around for a lot longer. And there's also going to be hiring incentives. So there's going to be cash for companies that bring on new employees. And there's going to be a $40,000 interest-free loan available to people who want to renovate or retrofit their homes with more energy-efficient or green technology. So, you know, lots of good stuff there. Does come with a deficit of over $300 billion dollars. You know, there's going to be a national debt that's going to go up. That's going to tip, you know, the trillion dollar mark, you know, with bending in this in this um, in this budget. But as you know, Nick, you know, attitudes around debt and deficits are changing. A lot of people are seeing what we get out of that debt. I was actually just talking to my mother before we started recording kind of about that, how, you know, debt now can be seen as more of an investment versus, you know, depending on what you're getting out of it, basically. Right. So if you're investing in education or if you're investing in infrastructure versus taking on debt for corporate tax funds where you actually lose money, right? Well, debt is necessary in the current kind of political world. It's just, it's totally unsustainable to not have debts based on the low levels of taxation and high levels of needed spending, especially in a pandemic. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's the thing. So uh, keep keep the the pandemic kind of mind frame you know in place and and let's hear Ezra's take on this budget. Kickstart the post pandemic economy. How about just take the handcuffs off it? How about just let people work, let people travel, let people go outside, <laughs> go to the restaurant? How would a hundred and one billion dollars help the restaurant industry kickstart or help the travel and tourism industry kickstart? If the government still bans those industries, you don't need to stimulate them with cash. Just let them live. What? <sighs> just let them live, man. <laughs> just let them live. Just let them go for it. Let's just open it all up and just say, fuck it. Yeah. Let them live. So is so. let me get this straight. So is he criticizing that the federal government is trying to stimulate those industries that have been hard hit by the pandemic with cash? Is that the problem? Well, I think he's confused about how the injection of cash will quote unquote kickstart. Ah, uh, okay. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't quite he doesn't know how to connect the dots on how the uh one hundred and one billion dollars will go to kickstart the economy. You know, mm. like helping 
restaurants pay their employees wages. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that'll help kickstart things. Yeah. How about an ins- the, the incentive for companies to hire people? That would be, you know, an incentive to kickstart the economy, helping businesses open up. Um, yeah, I don't know. How, how else will funding kickstart? <laughs> you know? yeah. It seems pretty, it seems pretty commonsensical of how, you know, you give some benefits, you give some, you know, some financial help that will help hire people that'll help businesses open and pay their rent and stay open. And it'll help people maybe expand and open up their businesses better, you know, so they can make more money and get the economy going again. I mean, it's, it's a big commitment. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money that the federal government is putting towards an industry that they recognize has been devastated by COVID-19 necessarily so though that's the thing i understand the frustration of people in the hospitality industry hell (laughs) you and i have both experienced it in Mm -hmm. this in this pandemic um yeah i I lost my job twice i i totally understand it from business owners employees everyone it's been tough and what can the federal government do besides try to strike a balance where they're saying we understand that these these sectors of business are hurting so here's money we also understand that we can't just let them run full tilt because then we create another crisis which is yeah icus that are flooded with people and people dying and all of this kind of stuff so it's like it's a delicate balance and honestly like i don't think that the canadian government is perfect like i don't think the trudeau liberals are perfect but i mean i think they've done a pretty good job and like i'm pretty happy to have them in power during this time especially as opposed to the conservative government because i just don't know where we'd be right now it would be a lot different i think these industries would not only be suffering but i don't know that they'd get the support because conservatives aren't as willing to spend money on stuff like that and it's kind of a oh well you're suffering because of the pandemic too bad your fault mentality that i feel would come out of that situation so i don't know what ezra wants that's the thing what does ezra want yeah like the whole let them live mentality also comes with the let them die mentality so you open things up you don't give them any support during a pandemic and then there's these big outbreaks nobody you know if there's a big outbreak at your restaurant that is going to be a huge damper on business and if you don't have those safety mechanisms in place or if you don't have those financial safety mechanisms in place those restaurants are also going to close permanently so you want to open things up unfettered without any restrictions let them live without giving them any support you know, strong company or companies that have, or businesses that maybe have a more robust bank account might be able to survive a little bit better through a pandemic. But if if you're already a business that has been struggling pre-pandemic, there goes your business. But, you know, I guess if you're looking at it through a purely capitalist lens, that's how she goes. Survive or die. Maybe that's what he wants. Maybe that's what he wants. But then, you know, even in all this discussion we've just had, we haven't even mentioned the fact that 
you have all these employees and if you're looking at restaurant employees you're usually people on the lower end of the earning scales people living closer to or in poverty who would be forced to continue to work because they don't have any other way to kind of support themselves in a super dangerous super hostile environment right like yeah so we can spend all this time talking about businesses surviving and stuff but what about the employees right you know? so exactly. when, when restaurants are locked down um and you can't do in indoor dining like yeah okay that like that sucks for people it sucks for people trying to earn money it sucks for people trying to run their business but at the same time it also it, it prevents people who are trying to earn money and working uh from being put into the line of fire with COVID-19 and it works well in coordination with the Canadian recovery benefit and the CERB yeah. and the other things that the federal government put in place to support employees as well. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, moving on, we already know that Ezra didn't do his homework for the Chauvin trial because he didn't listen to it. He didn't want to listen to it, but let's see if he did his homework for this budget. The monstrous budget document itself. I didn't just trust the CBC state broadcaster. It's the longest ever published as a budget. Of course, you need all those pages for all that spending they came up with. It's hard to swallow a 724-page budget. I don't think Christia Freeland herself even read it all. She certainly didn't write it all. I don't think Justin Trudeau even cares what's in it. I mean, that's what lobbyists are for, right? Gerald Butts will explain the hard parts to him. <laughs> so dismissive so, so dismissive so Ezra's saying no one else read the budget including the finance minister that presented except the budget. him he wrote yeah, yeah he read course. it yeah totally of course he did <laughs> he knows more about it than uh, than Freeland does of course right of course yeah and, you know, she's a woman what does she matter <laughs> right and yeah yeah totally right to that's, be clear that is the voice the of mindset. ezra that is totally. not the voice of nick <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah good qualification there that's exactly well that yeah that's 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 kind of where they're coming from exactly yeah and this is the the war on professionalism that i kind of we kind of touched on at the beginning that i was talking about it's like everybody seems to be bad at their jobs according to rebel news christia freeland doesn't read the budget Civil service, other civil servants don't read the budget, you know, that, that, that they're supposed to and that they don't even care about it. I, this is very, very untrue. Every single civil servant that I know, very dedicated to their job. They know their shit. They are very professional. But, it's, yeah. it's, you know, and it's very easy to dismiss really hard work when you're not the one doing it. And, and and to be honest with you, I don't believe that Ezra read the whole thing. I God, mean, no. We're talking about a person who makes regular appearances on the Alex Jones show. And like all Alex Jones does is read headlines. And he's constantly tripping up. If he actually starts reading a paragraph from a news article, he has no idea what he's saying. And <laughs> all of a sudden he'll say something to contradict his own point because he's never read it before. And I... I don't think Ezra's quite at that level, but he's close to it. He's just he's making aspiring. shit up as he goes. Yeah, yeah. Alex Jones is a is a is a way better refer than than Ezra. I think Ezra Ezra's improv needs a little bit of work, but he's aspiring. Yeah. He he's getting there. He's getting there for sure. So uh, he wants, so let me he wants you to know that nobody else read the budget. That's so right. Okay. Yeah, he wants to make that point. And uh, uh, yeah, and like I said, that goes back to the whole. 
you know, idea that there's no more professionals out there, that everybody is just winging it and everybody it doesn't do their homework, which is patently untrue. Yeah. Um, let's play the last clip I got for you here. Look, this is not a budget. A budget implies a balance. Your family budget, your expense budget. You earn something, you spend something, you try and keep things under control. This is not a budget. This isn't even a wish list. This is the Great Reset, using the pandemic as an excuse to nationalize swaths of the economy, to demonize and eradicate other industries, and to divide us based on things like race and sex. So yeah, <laughs> that's your Great Reset right there. Even worse than anything Pierre Trudeau could do. Okay. Yeah. Asshole. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that that last part was included in there. Who is dividing us on race and sex? Yeah. Is it the federal government or is it rebel news? I mean, come on, Ezra. What the fuck? This couldn't be more bullshit if you tried. Yeah. Right? Again, just filled filled with false equivalencies like home expenses versus government expenses. Like yeah, a, gov were, a government budget doesn't work like a household budget. No, it Because the reality is it doesn't matter how much money is coming into a government. In a situation like a pandemic, one, there's going to be no choice but a budget deficit because the amount of money coming in drops drastically, but the amount of money going out needs to increase drastically in, in order to keep the world afloat. That's yeah. kind of how it works. So it's not, it doesn't matter if you don't make enough money you still need to function as a country and as a society. So that money needs to get spent one way or another. And I just, it drives me nuts when people like Ezra <clears throat> try to talk about government, like it's a business or like it's a household. It's not. Yeah, it can't be like, that's, that's really old Reaganist style economics. And even, even economists now are shifting more towards the idea that, yeah, deficits are necessary. Debt is necessary. But again, smart debt and, and smart deficits. What are you getting from those deficits? What are you getting from that debt? Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit of a shift. But of course, you know, in that camp, it, it's really hard to really deal with change, deal with changing opinions on, on things that up until really now have been pretty fundamental in in that way of thinking and to me i don't know he comes off sounding really like grossly uninformed and really ignorant on what government budgets are and and kind of how they work and for somebody who is supposed to be informing his audience on on how that works and on and, and kind of arming them with the information they need to kind of i guess progress from a more conservative value how can you do that when you yourself sound like you don't know anything about anything. Yeah, agreed. But yeah, those are the uh, those are the headlines this week. All right, Leonard. Today I wanted to welcome the newest member of the Rebel News crew from Calgary, Alberta, Adam Seuss. Adam Seuss. All right. <laughs> so my guess is Adam is here taking the spot that was once occupied by Key and Bexty. Oh. And if that's the case, he has some very small shoes to fill. <laughs> Do cloven <laughs> hooves go into shoes? I don't know. 
as excited as I was to see a new Rebel crew member, um, that excitement faded very quickly once I began to listen to Adam. Um, Adam is not an exciting person, and he brings little to no energy to his reporting. Hopefully that'll change over time. Um, so he's not a complete bore when we cover his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need some good content, damn it. Yeah, it's, and at least with Key and Bexty, uh, he had a passion for Justin Trudeau that could be felt through his bullshit and his bad acting. And Adam just seems to really lack any emotion at all at this point. So again, hopefully <laughs> that kind of changes in the future, right? Yeah, hopefully. Unless Keenan, unless Keen's like a he doth protest too much. Yeah. <laughs> so in Adam's first video, which is what we'll be covering today, uh, the video actually opens up with a clip from our friend Sheila Gunn Reed. Right. And she's raising alarms that YouTube could take them down at any time and nobody would be able to reach them and uh, their audience wouldn't get to see what they wanted and blah, blah, blah. So you need to sign up for their website or their newsletter or whatever it is they're signing up for. And this is just a bunch of tired bullshit. Uh, even if YouTube took them down, uh, I already I know that they've already switched to embedding their videos in different video and streaming services so they still would be up and they'd still be accessible to everyone yeah this is just rebel wanting to gather personal information about their viewership to either sell or monetize in other ways and they try to make it appear that they're just telling the other side of the story or fighting tyranny but in reality they're just out to make money right yeah I mean, it, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had my first, uh, my friend, <laughs> we wouldn't have had our first segment without them, you know, intentionally being alarmist and spewing bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They found a niche where, um, they can make money by being alarmist and spewing bullshit yeah. <laughs> and, uh, they would sell anyone out to make a buck. And that's the end of the story for that. Right. Yeah, this is cool. just them uh, attempting to make money in another way. So, um, unfortunately, people will be duped by that and they'll sign up for the newsletter or whatever and give out their personal information and Rebel will do with it what they please. Anyway, let's dive into this clip. So, our newest team member um, is on the scene in Mirror, Alberta. So, the first thing I'll say is that I lived in Alberta for the better part of 20 years. I traveled all around the province for sporting events and never once had I heard of Mirror. <laughs> no, neither have I. So I had to look it up and it's a small hamlet somewhere southeast of Calgary with a population of about 500. So it sounds like the perfect place for some freedom-loving Burtons to live. <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> So let's let uh, Adam introduce what he's doing in the bustling metropolis that is <laughs> Mirror, Alberta. We are joining you today from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mirror, Alberta, where despite government orders to shut down, the Whistle Stop remains open. Uh, you may remember owner Chris Scott has received quite a bit of attention from AHS and the government of Alberta because of his opposition to these lockdown measures. Uh, yeah, so All right. as you can hear, Adam is pretty low energy <laughs> and um, 
I think Ezra is going to have to teach him a little bit about uh, false excitement and false outrage. Yeah, his performance, really, his performative stuff isn't isn't quite up to par yet. No, not even close. Uh, anyhow, the parade of knuckleheads has arrived in Mirror to support the anti-health orders business. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> so, so best I can tell, the restaurant that is defying health orders is located in a gas station, and from the video that I seen, it looks like there is not much of any indoor seating area at all, really. I could be wrong, but it certainly doesn't look that way. So a small barbecue restaurant located in a gas station with limited seating in the hamlet of Mir, Alberta, population 500, is the place to take a stand against government orders to not have indoor dining. Perfect. Makes total sense to me. Absolutely. (laughs) So Adam tracks down some of the people who've come out for this big event, and let's hear what the first lady he interviews has to say about Alberta Health Services. And so do you have any uh, thoughts or messages for AHS or the governments that are dealing with this crisis in uh, in your words? Um, I think that, you know, again, I'm not saying that COVID doesn't exist, but from a health perspective, there's people battling depression, um, people battling um, drug addiction, people battling domestic violence. Like, take a look at all of that, not just COVID, because I believe that the numbers of all these other things exceed that of COVID. <sighs> yes. People are battling depression. People are battling drug abuse and domestic violence. These are all true and they all matter. My question for this lady is how is purposefully defying public health orders to gather in a giant crowd at a gas station to eat barbecue food addressing any of these issues. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to can I can I take a quick leap here? Yeah. Cuz I think I think this is a great advertisement for gas station barbecue. Like are you depressed? <laughs> are you are you high on meth? Come down to Mirror Alberta and have yourself some barbecue and it'll cure everything. Not just barbecue, gas station barbecue. Absolutely. The only kind of barbecue in Alberta, yeah. gas station barbecue. <laughs> so this is just another, like, it's a complete false equivalence. It keeps coming up from these crowds because there are bad things happening. We need to eat inside. I just don't understand how this thinking makes sense to anybody. Do we, do we need to address issues of drug abuse, mental health, and domestic violence? Absolutely. Yeah. Do we need to address issues of COVID-19? Also, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) These are areas of health and well-being that are all important and require a lot of attention. That said, one of these is an anomaly that would be gone if we would just adequately deal with it rather than gathering at gas stations to be angry about it. Whereas the other things are all ongoing societal issues that need to be dealt with in very different ways. Absolutely. If, If this person or anyone else at this stupid event were actually concerned about health issues, they would be worried about the fact they're hanging out at a gas station eating barbecue. Because (laughs) according to Stats Canada, the only two things that caused more death in Canada in 2020 than COVID-19 are cancer and heart disease. So the top three killers in Canada in 2020 were cancer, heart disease, and COVID-19. So these buffoons 
are gathered in a large group at a gas station eating barbecue to demonstrate their desire for freedom. It makes total sense to me. Freedom. They, they care about freedom and they care about health. And this is how they're going to express that. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. And it really like doing this kind of stuff really denigrates the action that does need to be taken on depression, drug abuse and, and domestic violence. Right. Like having making that kind of false comparison takes really the attention away from the actual problems that are happening and just kind of making uh making a, a kind of a vent out of it that gets you attention right yeah exactly guaranteed like the the owner of 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 this barbecue joint in in mirror maybe got some fines send an email to fightthefines.com instant notoriety and now you have this army of degenerates that are going to drive down to mirror to eat at your establishment yeah, exactly. So speaking of the owner of this place, let's see what he has to say. This is Great. Chris Scott, owner of the Whistle Stop Cafe. And this is more hard-hitting reporting from Adam Seuss. I'm here with Chris Scott from the Whistle Stop Cafe. Chris, how, how did this all come together? What motivated you to have this event today? Uh, the motivation for this was uh, going back to phase 0.75 of the of the garbage restrictions. Yeah, completely understandable. And we have a special guest here today, is that right? Can you tell us a little bit about who's joining us today? Uh, we have a couple special guests. We have uh, Natalie Klein is here, Adam Skelly's here, Wes from Mom's Diner's here, and we got uh, a whole bunch of really awesome musicians. Wonderful, that's exceptional. So what's on the menu? I, one of the questions that everyone's asking is, who's got the better barbecue, Ontario or Alberta? Uh, Adam, hands down. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, that's really good to hear. So um, do you have any messages for any other business owners or people who might be struggling through these times? Uh, that's I've been asked that question a lot. So the only thing I can say to other businesses is, if, if you're going to do something like this, it's very important that you commit 100%. Um, and, and if we do, the more people that do, the easier it gets for all of us. There's that, everyone's been saying that if we all if we all push back together, what are, they can't stop us and that's true. But the problem we have now is it's like the authorities are doubling down on their efforts. They're using, they're using crazy tactics that I never would have thought would happen to us in Alberta, let alone Canada. So yeah, you're probably gonna get in trouble. Um, it's not gonna be easy. As you can see from me, I haven't really been sleeping very much, but it's worthwhile. It's something worth fighting for. So I encourage you, if you're gonna do it, just go 100% and give her. And do you have any messages directly for AHS or the government of Alberta? Yeah, wake up, wake up. Okay, oh, first I need to address, I'm, I'm upset that Copperhead Road started playing in the background by one of the dumb bands that they brought in there because right? I actually really like that song and now yeah. I'm going to associate it with this. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> actually, that 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 particular song was like was my dad's graduation song when he uh when he graduated from the RCMP. So yeah, I, I equally hold that that song in regard. Yeah. Um so let's go through um what what Chris is saying here. So first off, he references phase 0.75 of the garbage restrictions Great as joke. the reason he's doing what he's doing and i just don't understand what that means at all and i'm not going to pretend i do but it's okay because adam totally understands <laughs> he actually has no <laughs> Does idea he, know? <laughs> he has no idea <laughs> he's like oh yeah totally understandable but like he yeah. just doesn't know uh, because he isn't gotten to a point in his journalism career where he understands how to reasonably respond to anything people are saying um 
which is going to be a fun thing for us to to watch over the coming months. But anyway, um, so Chris talks about some of the big celebrities they have there. So including Natalie Klein, niece of one of the worst premiers in Canadian history, Ralph Klein. Yeah. Uh, we have Adam Skelly, who runs a number of barbecue places out in Ontario, who is attempting to file lockdown orders. And of course, we have Wes from Mum's Diner. I have no idea who that is, uh, nor do I care. Um, there's also a number of uh, apparently amazing musicians, and I'm sure it's a star-studded lineup out there. And sure. Um, but Chris Scott's advice is to just keep pushing forward. Don't think about what you're doing, how irresponsible what you're doing is, or how you could hurt or potentially kill people because of your actions. Just stay the course. That's right. He says that the government are using crazy tactics, and I'm not exactly sure what he is referring to, but since he's part of the rebel sphere, my guess would be what's happening at Grace Life Church. So let's just recap those events quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Global pandemic breaks out. Crazy pastor refuses to follow public health orders for months on end. Finally, he's asked to stop formally. He doesn't. He's asked again. He still doesn't listen. He's asked again. He still doesn't listen. He goes to jail and gets released. Defies the health orders again. Goes to jail again. Gets out. Defies the orders again. He's asked to stop again. He doesn't. Finally, they close his church down. <laughs> and uh, because he's had so many warnings and run-ins with the law, the preacher then moves to a hidden location for church service and still continues to defy public health orders and nothing is really done about it and he's still operational so if you ask me that is the government failing to protect the population at large not the government overreaching in their powers right yeah yeah i yeah i 100 agree with that but chris would have you think otherwise right well and that's the thing like what 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 are they fighting for they're fighting for freedom what like against what like temporary health measures that if like we said if you follow them for the finite amount of time they will go away and we'll all be back to normal and and you can you can you can serve your barbecue out of your out of your gas station the thing that he's saying is he's like if we all work together to defy these orders yeah we can all make it through listen asshole if we all worked together to follow the orders or we all worked together to actually create orders that were meaningful, <laughs> we'd get through it a lot faster. Right. We'd, we'd, be, we'd probably be done with it if, That's if, the if thing. that was the case. Yeah. Like, come on. You're talking about working together, but you're refusing to actually work together. If you want yeah. to work together to get this done, why don't you and gather all your friends and all your other people that don't want to be locked down, put down a reasonable, um, you know, a reasonable request to the government saying, why don't we just shut everything down for three weeks? And when I say everything, I mean everything so that we can reopen our businesses in three weeks and try to get life back going. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, at, at a gas station restaurant in mirror with, you know, 500 people, I can get the idea that the risk in mirror probably isn't as large as the risk maybe in a more urban center. Sure. 
I could, I could agree with that. But that doesn't release you from the responsibility of protecting the people that do stop in your restaurant. Well, and also on that note, the risk in mirror is exponentially higher when the train of boneheads shows yeah. up in town, right? Exactly. Yep. That's exactly it. So uh, yeah, the the people who follow that, and there's obviously people, like the, the thing here too, is there's the connection between Alberta and Ontario. Those two provinces seem to be working really, really hard together to to kind of reinforce this this narrative, this freedom fighting narrative that that they're that they're performing. And yeah, you have people traveling across the country to get there. So yeah, you're right. It does. It turns up a population of 500 who probably doesn't, who probably realistically doesn't have a very high risk to now having people coming from all over the province and from outside of the province to come to you. Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous. So at the end, at the end of the segment there, he says the government and AHS need to wake up. And that's actually partially true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. AHS is doing everything they can to keep people safe and healthy. They don't need to wake up. If anything, they've been awake too long and maybe they need a nap. <laughs> <laughs> the government yeah. of Alberta, on the other hand, they have completely botched the entire COVID situation right from the beginning. So first, Jason Kenney verbally downplayed uh, what COVID was, uh, referring to it as a flu, dismissing the levels of danger caused by the virus. Next, They seriously delayed doing anything for the disease right from the first lockdown. Many private businesses began voluntarily locking down at the start of the pandemic because the government of Alberta uh, didn't mandate anything. So then after the initial lockdown, they continued to be very slow at reacting to anything. They ignored the rest of the world and the advice of experts and, and they wanted to do things their way. Then because of lack of mask mandates and any serious public health measures, as things continue to get worse, they've been going in and out of partial lockdowns that are absolutely devastating to some industries. There's a ton of criticism that needs to be thrown at the Alberta government. There's no doubt about that. But again, I just don't see how eating barbecue at a gas station in the middle of nowhere addresses any of those issues. This is all strategy. All this strategy, sorry, does does is put more people in danger and it gets you a 12 minute segment with the shitty new reporter at rebel news exactly it it It, doesn't actually do anything it's it's great advertising and it's a target audience that is willing to go to your place and spend their money and put themselves at risk and it's a great place for charlatans and a great place for opportunistic people to go and spew their bullshit and just perpetuate this this whole narrative that's that's been going on yeah yeah exactly it doesn't actually accomplish anything no (laughs) no okay let's move on and let's see what one of the big celebrities there adam skelly has to say about this Mm. whole situation so in Alberta, we had something of a restaurant rebellion. Numerous businesses were in it together. In Ontario, it was a bit of a different situation. Can you tell us what it was like to face that somewhat on your own? 
Well, I knew I was going to be facing it by myself. For several months, I reached out to several business owners, including some uh, famous chefs from Toronto, and none of them would even approach this topic. They were too much of cowards to even speak about it uh, over the phone or in person. It was such a sensitive topic because you'll get destroyed by the, by the I don't know, the radical left in Toronto if you speak out against this narrative at all. They just appeal to authority. Uh, anybody who goes against the authorities, no matter what it is, if you go against the authorities, they will try to crush you. And out here, we don't seem to have that kind of spirit. Maybe that's because of the experience that uh, Alberta's suffered with bad government for the last few years. It makes them more awake to these ideas. I'm not quite sure. But in Toronto, you still see not a single restaurateur has defied the orders yet in Toronto. There's a few that are happening in the small towns. So I hope a movement's coming. Uh, and I hope it comes soon, man, because Toronto will be lost if they don't stand up soon. Do you have any direct messages to business? Toronto will be lost, Nick. Yeah. So Toronto as I mentioned fallen. before, Adam is the guy from Ontario who's defying public health orders. And he wants you to know that other local businesses where he is from were too much of cowards to join his cause. Really, Adam? Are they cowards or are they just not assholes? <laughs> yeah. I, I happen to think that it's not a sign of cowardice at all to care about your fellow citizens and not put people in danger during a global pandemic. Um, so he says it's the radical left that will get you if you speak out against the restrictions because the radical left appeal to authority. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, right. I, <laughs> I guess Adam hasn't turned on a TV in the past number of years to see the radical left has been fighting tooth and nail against authority. Right. Right. Like this is nothing to do with authority, Adam. This has everything to do with having a functioning society. Sometimes people have to do shit you don't want to do in order to keep society functioning. And I promise you, there are tons of people on the left that are critical of government's responses to COVID. There are tons of people on the left who don't like wearing masks, myself included. But we recognize that working together can get us all past this in the safest way possible. People like Adam are just selfish assholes who refuse to acknowledge that others are suffering and care only about themselves. Right? Yeah. They, yeah. The, re, the refusal to acknowledge, or maybe they don't even know. Maybe they, maybe they are ignorant to the situation. I mean, look at their information source. Like, would you go like watching COVID-19 coverage on rebel news is starkly different from watching COVID-19 coverage on CBC or, you know, even on, you know, independent news organizations like Press Progress or Progress Report or what have you. It, it's the, it's the ignorance. They can't, they won't even, they can't even recognize that COVID-19 is a problem. Yeah. Right. When you're, when you're coming from that angle, of course your argument is going to be justified because you don't even believe that there's a problem to begin with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I, I want to just go back to the thing he says where Alberta is used to having a bad government for the last few years. And, and they have had a bad government for the last couple of years yeah. in the UCP. But I know he's referring to the NDP. Um, yeah. And again, that's just, you know, stay in your lane, man. Shut up. Uh, I don't live in Alberta anymore. But what I can tell you is that uh, the Al Alberta thrived. Uh, industries thrived under the NDP. That was the reality of it. They did a good job. They should still be in power now. And if they were, 
your stupid ass would be back to Ontario well, in a moment. And, and let's not forget that the NDP were in power for four years out of the 40 plus years that a conservative party has, has been in power in Alberta. Yeah, Since exactly. I've been born, so I'm 38, and I only know an NDP government over the last four years, or like the, the previous government over the last four years. Every other Alberta government has been conservative. Yeah, it goes it goes a lot back. It goes for a lot back for, further than that. So in yeah. the the Progressive Conservative Party took power in 1971, but before that it was the Social Credit Party and don't be fooled by the name. They were very conservative and they were in power from 1935 until 1971. So you have going yeah. on the better part of a century of conservative governments in in alberta yeah. save right? for one outlier yeah one right? outlier yeah exactly so i mean yeah they didn't really have much of a chance and let's not be let's not be um fooled they did have some policies that made an immediate impact like when they created tax incentives to open up breweries and stuff like that but in reality, they couldn't have that much of an impact on the province at large in four years. No, so, they weren't given the chance to. Yeah, they weren't given the opportunity to really uh, see a lot of their policies through before the conservatives came back in and reversed a number of things. Yeah, so, like I don't want to get too much into NDP policy, but for me, one of the biggest things that came out of that government was the... Um, environmentally friendly tax incentives and grant programs where, you know, if you wanted to retrofit your house with solar panels and you wanted to start generating electricity, you were allowed to generate like five megawatts of electricity from your house. And then you would get rebates if your house went, uh, you know, fed into the, into, onto the grid. Like those kinds of policies are, are great and forward looking. Yeah, but if of you're course, an evil socialist. Right, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, how dare you become self-sufficient on your the property that you own and then get rebates from the energy that you produce from your own property? Could you imagine e that? Evil, dirty socialists. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <You> e <laughs> uh, okay, let's get back to the selfish assholes. <laughs> Adam's a selfish <laughs> asshole. Adam's a selfish asshole, but while we're on the subject of it, Ralph Klein, his niece oh, was there. God. Natalie Klein, uh, she was at the event and she became a celebrity in this rebel sphere, um, not just because of her namesake, but also because she opened a barbershop in August of 2020 and promptly began defying public health orders. If you could see my face, I would have a surprised look. Yeah, so surprised. Anyway, let's see what Natalie has to say. So how does it feel to be among other business owners who've opened despite the lockdowns and are standing up against what, uh, what can be claimed to be uh, unjust regulations? I think it's wonderful. I think more businesses need to open and stand their ground and push back the government. I mean, after we've seen the fences go up at Grace Life Church here, I think many are rallying together to make a stand. I mean, it's time to push back you know, this, this dictatorship of 
government that we have. I mean, democracy is gone here. So I'm really happy that these restaurants are pushing back. And Chris is, he's been a warrior since the beginning. And I fully support everything he's doing here. Democracy okay. is gone, Nick. Democracy is gone. Okay. I find it pretty funny that someone whose claim to fame is her ties to Ralph Klein would call current governments a dictatorship. <laughs> Ralph Klein was notorious for acting as a dictator while reigning as the premier of Alberta. His famous Klein bucks were thought <laughs> up by himself on a Sunday night and pushed through the legislative assembly the next day without any consultation from policymakers or politicians in the party. Ralph Klein also essentially looked to eliminate democracy in so much that he wanted to keep the ruling party in power at any cost. Also his famous tagline. Jesus. I found a great article from the, I want to say Thai or Thai dot ca it's t-y-e-e dot ca from 2006 titled ralph klein's real legacy albertans can thank the king for their one party state and i'm gonna read a bit from this right now and it's gonna be a bit of an extended reading but i'm very happy to talk shit about ralph klein as his economic and social policies swerved sharply to the right compared to his conservative predecessors, Premier Peter Lougheed and Don Getty, he set about persuading Albertans they had no other political voice. And this is in reference to Ralph Klein, of course. Having served his political apprenticeship in municipal politics, which had <clears throat> no parliamentary tradition and no party lines, Klein came to the provincial legislature with no respect for the Canadian tradition of representative, responsible government. He showed little civility towards opposition members of the legislature and scant respect for their, con their constitutional office. He began the path to post-democracy by severing the legislative assembly from the legislative process. Indicative of the sea of change, was his annual televised chat with Albertans, which immediately became a more important political event than the speech from the throne. After the 2004 election, government MLAs uh, were given heavy gold rings, graduation style, denoting their elected office and paid for by the public. <laughs> Opposition MLAs were given no rings, even though they are elected to the same office and sit at the same legislature. Those rings um, delineate a caste system that taunts centuries of hard-won parliamentary tradition. During, uh, during the centennial celebration of 2005, all MLAs were given medals to, to present to noble constituents. Conservative MLAs were granted the use of government house, a public facility, as a venue to make formal presentations. When liberal MLAs applied to use it, they were denied permission. Such humiliation may seem petty, but it exemplifies a dangerous petulance towards the elected opposition and a post-democratic frame of mind. The article then goes on to say, at the center of the post-democratic order is the conservative party which celebrates its 35th anniversary as the governing party on September 10th of this year. 
Nine days before Albertans went to the polls in 2004, Edmonton Journal columnist, columnist Graham Thompson wrote, forget the provincial election campaign. There's only one political race that counts in Alberta, and it has little to do with November t- the November 22nd vote. The Tory leadership race is the one to watch. That one will do more to determine the future of a post-debt Alberta than it's all over the counting election. Membership in the Conservative Party is a matter of self-interest for anyone seeking full opportunity and a full role in civic life in Alberta. The consequences of membership in an opposition party can be punitive, both socially and professionally. In Alberta's post-democracy, general elections no longer express the will of the people in the Canadian tradition of responsible representative government. Opposition is extensively fragmented. In the general election of 2004, 10 opposition parties ran 367 candidates for 83 seats, a pattern typical of the past 100 years. Government is routinely elected with a minority of the popular vote, yet gains an overwhelming majority of the seats. This happened 12 times in 26 general elections. Voter participation has eroded steadily since 1935 when it peaked at 82% uh, turnout. By 2004, it was down to 44.7%. As the popular vote declines, elections become more ceremonial and less significant to the exercise of power. Opposition parties no longer able to develop the financial and organizational infrastructure to function effectively and mount serious electoral challenges. The Conservative Party recruits cream, the cream of professional political managers and electoral candidates. The opposition parties are starved for funds. I know that this is a little bit long-winded, but the reality is you don't get to say that there's a dictatorship going on in Alberta without condemning the person who actually tried to make his position a dictatorship. Yeah. If these people are actually opposed to tyranny, I sure hope that one of the first things they do after they leave this stupid rally is they throw out their Ralph Klein worship shrines because he was the king of tyranny in Alberta. Yeah, man. I Yeah. Like, I feel Ralph Klein is like Alberta's version of Ronald Reagan, where now in Alberta, there's a humongous, almost religious following of the guy and his policies. And after hearing that, holy shit, like that puts that puts things in a lot of perspective on even this, what's going on in Alberta, where it sounds like there's a lot of status anxiety going on. I know I say that term a lot, but you know, when the grasp of power is starting to loosen a little bit, when you can't act with impunity all the time, and now you're actually being, you know, accountable for your actions, it feels bad and you want to strike back, but you really have no recourse. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, and it's just, to me, it's a group of bad faith actors. Yeah. And how can you, how can you compromise with bad faith actors or how can you reach bad faith actors and, and try to get them to cooperate just for a little bit? You know, I think that is the challenge. Well, you can't because their whole purpose is to act in bad faith. In bad faith. That's exactly it. They only care what's going to push their narrative forward. So, yeah, it's 
uh, it's just funny that you have, again, somebody that's like kind of made a name for herself based on being a bad faith actor for one. Yeah. And well, her, her namesake. Yeah, her yeah. Uh, well, uncle. uncle. Uncle, sorry. Yeah, uncle. Um, you know, sitting here talking about dictatorship when if there was a person who almost made Alberta a dictator in the modern a dictatorship in the modern era, it was Ralph Klein. Yeah. And, and that's how he ruled. And, and there's a lot of information. I didn't want to make this all about Ralph Klein, but there's a lot of information that is accessible to anybody that it, it just shows like people talk openly about how Ralph Klein ruled. He didn't give mm -hmm. MLA is the opportunity to express their opinions. He had an executive branch that ran everything and what they said goes, and he was the top of that executive branch. Yeah. That was the reality, right? Yeah. So I'm happy that Natalie Klein was there because honestly, I'll take every opportunity I can to talk shit about Ralph Klein. Absolutely. Uh, she fed me a perfect fastball right down the middle <laughs> talking about a dictatorship, like fuck off Natalie Klein. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, anyway, I know it got a little bit off topic there with, we're talking about the lockdowns, but it's just, it comes back to these things. People it's, it's rebel. It's the rebel sphere. They're talking yeah. about anyone that doesn't exactly conform to their ideas in government is a dictator, is an authoritarian, is trying to squash everybody's freedom. Yeah. It's just not true. Well, yeah. And it's important to take the historical context of what's happening because this isn't happening just in a vacuum this is something that has been bubbling under the surface in alberta and this just happened to be the opportunity for that to you know come above the surface and become you know it, i don't know maybe they, they're getting a taste of the 90s again where they they feel like they're vindicated or they feel like they can regain power in some twisted power struggle that doesn't really even exist you know yeah. Yeah, it's it's it, Alberta's got a really interesting political past. Um there's been a lot of <laughs> a lot of like a lot of bad ideas have been allowed to kind of just perpetuate there for a long time. Yeah. And and for some reason the most prevailing one is that anything to do with like the federal government is tyranny. Um provincial politics uh you know conservatives get a pass on every terrible thing they do not once did i hear anyone actually mentioning uh jason kenny and i think jason kenny's done a really good job of dodging being associated with any of these public health orders he kind of passes it off as oh this is the federal government this is the federal government yeah right and of so, course people believe him and people believe him and and yeah here we are uh, here we are talking to friggin' Natalie Klein like she actually fucking matters. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Oh, Leonard, we're coming to the end. I'm too bad. <laughs> I don't know what to say, man. Uh, I feel the same way I do at the end of every episode where it's like, you know, I, yeah, sure, okay, I just spent half an hour or whatever it is rambling about, like, <laughs> how crazy this stuff is but there's just so much more to do and there's there's just so much more bullshit out there yeah it's like and, and it's then very talking real about ralph klein makes me want to just dig into ralph klein more and and say yeah. well how do we get to this point because i blame a lot of how we got to this point on ralph klein right 
the le- the legacy largely yeah falls falls on his shoulders absolutely you know because i mentioned at any cost like his motto well that was what that meant was like he will balance the budget the provincial deficit will be paid off at any cost, at any cost. and what was the cost like our healthcare system the, the cost was education two, two hospitals in calgary the yeah. cost was calgary being a city that was about three times the size of Regina, Saskatchewan at the time that had one less hospital or it was the same number of hospitals or one less than Regina. So three times the population, significantly less kind of yeah. ability to treat patients. Yeah. Right. And that was the closer- part of the cost. Yeah, and what does the closure of hospital happens? All those all those healthcare workers have to go somewhere else, and if there's no jobs, they have to leave the province. And I remember, yeah. I, I remember when I was younger, you know, it was one of the one of the news stories that I I, re, I do remember from those days was they were calling it the brain drain, where there were so many doctors and nurses going to the states because there were there was no funding for for healthcare in Alberta. So sure, yeah. they were debt. We were debt free in you know 1990 whatever. But at, at what cost? Yeah. And all our doctors and nurses leaving, teachers getting underpaid. <clears throat> yeah, it was. But the rich, but the rich got richer. That's the thing. Yeah. For corporate Canada and for corporate Alberta and for industry, it was a boon. That's when telecoms got privatized. You know, Alberta had AGT, that got privatized, became Telus, and then. Uh, you know, all, all, everything just basically went from public to private for profit. And here we are. So the reality is that all these people that are fighting back in Alberta and they're doing it, they have reasons. They have a lot of reasons to be outraged. They have reasons to not trust government. They have reasons to feel the way they do. The problem is, is that their anger is misplaced. Um, the very people that they should be angry at are the ones that have tricked him and be into being angry at somebody else. Exactly. And uh, it's just, the focus is just off the mark and it's just going to continue to be kind of a mess until people start to realize that you're, you're mad at the wrong people. You're mad for the wrong reasons. Yeah, you should be mad. You've yeah. got reason to be mad. You've got reason to not trust government. It's just misplaced. Exactly. Yeah. On that note, Leonard, (laughs) where can people find (laughs) us at? Very, very easy to get a hold of us. Uh, Send us an email, show at Love of Truth Pod. You can find us on Twitter at Love of Truth Pod. We even have a hashtag. So if you see something on, let's say, the Rebel Twitter or you see something from the Rebel Universe that you think we might like to see, uh, tweet at us and hashtag Love of Truth Pod. You can always do that. And uh, yeah, we, we truly appreciate every single person who comes to us and listens every single week. Thank you guys so, so, so much. Um, we're always trying to make this better. So this is for you guys. We'll talk to you next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.